Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Dr. Leslie Torres Rodriguez grew up in Hartford after moving to the capital city from Puerto Rico with her family as a young girl. She graduated from Hartford Public High School, and years later, she's the school district's newest leader. Today, where we live, Superintendent Torres Rodriguez is in studio with us to answer our questions and yours. Hartford is poised to receive additional educational aid from the state under Malloy's plan if the legislature doesn't adopt its own budget by October. The money comes at a time when the capital city is weighing whether to file for bankruptcy. Given this financial uncertainty, how will Hartford Public Schools use their resources to strengthen and improve student achievement? Now, are you a city resident? Are you a parent of a Hartford School student? What questions do you have for Dr. Torres Rodriguez? You can join the conversation this hour, 860-275-7266. Email where we live at wmpr.org. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. I want to welcome Dr. Leslie Torres Rodriguez back to the show. Thanks for coming in today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, before we get into learning a little bit about your uh, personal life and what led you uh, to become the, the new superintendent, I wanted to just reflect on um, some news that's happening um, in our country. Um, it's expected that President Trump will announce uh, what's going to happen to the DACA program, which is deferred action uh, for students um, who are undocumented in this country. Um, there's a, There are reports that he will rescind that program. I'm curious, as uh, the leader of the Hartford Public Schools, um, how uh, your team Team, um, has been responsive to the undocumented families that live in the capital city? You know, from the beginning, um, my administration and my team has been very clear with our families that um, we essentially do not need to know um, where students are coming from in terms of um, their status. We welcome every one of our students and their families. And so we've been very upfront um, since the beginning about that. Have there been fears, though, because of the, the national political climate? What are your... Um, what are your office, what are they hearing? What are teachers hearing from their students? We did um, initially have um, more of our high schoolers, our secondary students question um, right, their safety. Um, a few um, of the lower grade students did express to their teachers, you know, whether or not they should come to school, you know, in the next day, if you will, because they weren't sure what was going to happen to their families um, and to their parents. And so those were very um, unique uh, cases that we heard about, but in general, our, our older students were most um, cautious and aware um, of their uncertainty. How do you feel personally when you see that fear uh, among these families? So it's personal, right? It gets uh, very personal for me as a, as a migrant um, myself, um, the experience of just being in a, in a, new, in a new setting, in a new culture. Um, it's just so challenging to navigate. And then you add um, the fact that um, you may not be uh, welcomed um, in, 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 in the nation that you and your family sought to um, for refuge to improve your future. Um, imagine um, trying to navigate that as a, as a young child or a young adult and trying to work through that. Um, while having to navigate, right, a new language, while having to navigate 
um, the psychosocial adolescent experience. Um, that's a lot for our children to struggle um, through and with. And so for me per- personally, um, I, I can identify. And so making sure that we create the conditions um, to support all of our students um, and the whole child, if you will. School started in Hartford uh, this week. Uh, have you been uh, talking with teachers about what to say to some of these students if the concern again comes up? Yes, we're actually um, sending today a resource packet for all of our administrators and all of our students. Um, but the the message to our, our staff, which was a message that I um, wanted to make sure I came across during our convocation on Monday, was one around uncertainty and to acknowledge the fact that, yes, there is uncertainty. And while we don't want to minimize it, um, to make sure that we not only verbalize to our students, but with our actions communicate that we are here showing up every single day for them and that they're safe. Um, that they are safe and that if um, there is a need to unpack, discuss, and process um, fears um, as related to their local context or the national context, that that's the space that we have to create in, in our schools. You were appointed as the uh, the new superintendent in April after serving as acting our interim superintendent for a number of months. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. You mentioned that you, you, you know where some of these students are coming from. You, you moved here uh, with your family from Puerto Rico when you were a young girl. Tell us about your life. Yes, so nine years old. Uh, my mother and my brother, you know, we, we moved um, smack in the middle of Park Street. Uh, one bedroom, cramped apartment, and... Um, you know, I recall uh, going to Burns Elementary School as a fifth grader and um, right having to navigate the new setting. And my first teacher happened to be a Latina woman. Um, and I was so um, beside being impressed, right? Just I felt so, so safe um, just knowing, right, that there was someone there that I could at some level connect with. Um, and, you know, early on, I knew that I that I wanted to become a teacher. And I always say, had it not been for her, um, right, who knows? Uh, and, you know, I did, I had to learn the language. I struggled. Um, I always um, speak as to my respect, if you will, for, for literacy, given the fact that I couldn't access books initially. I did not have books, and, and it was hard for me to read initially. And so... Um, Making sure that my uh, that I leveraged the resources and my pa- my mother leveraged the community resources around me, um, uh, the library, if you will, and other community based organizations, um, and and you know worked my way through 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 the public school system and um, struggled at times and was disengaged, quite frankly, um, up until I got to high school where I um, encountered. Um, Several adults that you know just saw something in me and um, embraced me, and and um, then I think it was by the tenth grade that I that I thought I think I might want to do this college thing. Not sure what it was. My mother didn't know how to navigate any of it, right? Um, and so um, had to work myself through college, and and I knew that I wanted to become an educator early on. Just didn't know how to get there, and. Um, I recall um, the finances were always an issue for for us. And so um, I was going to school, and my my hope was to become a teacher. That was my dream. But then I met some professors from UConn School of Social Work midway, uh, second year in college, and they were saying, you know, uh, we've heard you're active in your community. 
we have this program, a graduate program in social work that you know offers scholarships to Latinos, particularly Puerto Ricans in Hartford. And if you ever want to, you know, pursue a graduate degree, do know that um, we'd love to have you. And that's you know my path took a turn there um, because I wanted the free education, right? And so um, social work it was, and I ended up as a school social worker for eight eight years, um, always knowing that you know at my heart. Um, education and teaching was where I wanted to go. And so I taught for seven years at the community college in Hartford um, as well. And then um, always knew that leadership and systemic change um, was where I wanted to to make the impact. Um, and in a community um, that was very dear to my heart. So I always knew Hartford was a place that I was going to come back to. Um, it's a big job and there's lots of challenges. What would you say are the top challenges that you want to address in your first year as the new superintendent? First year, um, making sure that the structures exist um, for success. And, you know, when we think about leaders um, in organizations, you know, our role is to create the conditions for the change. And as it relates to education, is making sure that we um, create conditions which will entail, can entail, removing barriers uh, to access for a student. And so um, from an operational perspective, which is something that I believe Hartford Public Schools has not tended to um, in, in several years, um, is making sure that we have the structures, protocols, and procedures in place at all levels of the organization. And then, of course, um, making sure that we build capacity in in those that are going to impact the magic that has to happen for our students, which is high quality teaching and learning. And so that means building capacity in our teachers and in our leaders, while of course, uh, making sure that we have um, learning focused partnerships with our parents and our communities. And so I know that's a lot for year one um, to your question, but just making sure that those uh, conditions, those foundational conditions exist in order to have systemic, sustainable change later on. This is where we live in studio with me today, Dr. Leslie Torres-Rodriguez. She's the newest superintendent in the Hartford Public School System. Uh, if you are a resident of the city of Hartford, if your child is a student within the public school system, you can ask a question of the superintendent, 860-275-7266. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at where we live. Uh, this is, again, the first week of a new school year, uh, Dr. Torres-Rodriguez. Tell us about who your teachers are. There is the notion that many of of the teachers are new teachers. And I'm curious about turnover that has been an issue in years past and how you're addressing that. Yeah, so we um, have over 3,000 staff members and the um, average um, tenure uh, is 10 years. And so while um, you know we, we do hear about the turnover, our areas of our challenging areas, if you will, are our um, shortage areas, which not only at the state but nationally, you know, our math, our science, um, speech and language therapists. You know, it's a national shortage area, um, and and we have twenty five of our of our certified staff are are of color, and so that's something that we're proud of. Of course, there's significant opportunity for improvement there, um, but you know, we do um, struggle. At, with regard to those shortage areas, particularly at the middle school level. Um, it's a challenging time um, for for students, right, the middle school. And so um, I have colleagues that are passionate. There are middle school um, devotees, and they'll say that it takes a special person to, to, to be in middle school. And so um, we reflect often as to how we attract and retain 
um, middle school teachers, particularly in those shortage areas. How do you help them, especially if they're a new uh, graduate of education school or first or second year out um, trying to be a teacher that they've always wanted to be, but they have so many challenges in front of them? Uh, how do you help them? I've heard in the past uh, the school district has had coaches for principals, for leaders, but what about the teachers doing the work each and every day? We do, we do have um, those supports, but even before that, right, we want to make sure that during our onboarding process that um, we provide them with all of the, um, the technical supports, if you will. And um, then, of course, it's the, the human capital piece of it, right, the human, de- um, the human um, the professional development supports for our teachers. And while, yes, they're going to have their coaches in their schools, we also have central office um, district-level supports for students. Our new teachers have their cohorts that they can participate in and not only feel um, supported um, from a collegial perspective, but also in terms of their content area support. Um, And then, of course, making sure that those structures that I talked about at the beginning at the school level exist. We know the research tells us that Um, Adults learn best when they do so um, in collaborative ways, that adults learn best when it is applicable to their own context. And so making sure that at the building level, our new teachers um, are supported by their colleagues and by their administrators as well. I started the show mentioning the the fiscal problems that not only the city of Hartford's facing, but the whole state of Connecticut. How do those fiscal problems impact these resources you're able to allocate to the teachers, the principals, and other staff? You know, we were very mindful during the budget process to um, limit the amount of reductions at the school level. You know, unfortunately, we weren't able to um, close a $24 million gap without reducing um, staff. It it was just a challenge that we were faced with. Um, But um, we wanted to make sure that those instructional coaches remained um, at the building level. Um, we certainly had uh, 50, about 50 positions throughout the district that were reduced and over about 30 at the central office level. But those supports were important to us, given that one of our foundational um, priorities is to develop leaders to lead for learning. And leaders for us, the Hartford Public Schools, does not only encompass a central office leader or a building principal. We believe that our teachers are leaders as well. And so staying true to that foundational commitment meant that we had to make sure that our resources were still there available to carry out on um, our commitment. When you look at, at resources, uh, what about organization uh, throughout uh, the, the school district in terms of leadership? I know that you used to once be an assistant superintendent. Can you give us an idea of the structure and are you seeing, are there, have there been changes so that you're not a top heavy school district? We did. Um, I did have a, a realignment at central office, and um, we do not have assistant superintendents um, anymore. We do have chiefs, and um, a, there was a, a, a parallel process, if you will, in, in my thought process when the realignment took place. And um, we had a chief of school improvement. We have chief, you know, academic officer, and um, given that. I wanted to make sure that our structures were as efficient as possible. Um, What I did was have a now a chief of elementary and middle grades and then a chief of secondary um, programming. And so um, that allowed for um, streamlining of supports and leadership. Uh, And so the assistant superintendent role is no longer necessary. We do have executive directors that support the chiefs. Um, but, you know, not, not only was that um, 
and and an efficiency move, if you will. But it was also programmatically um, aligned with where it is that we want to take our district. You know, we do. Um, we are in the process of a, of a master planning, a restructuring of our district, and um, that is a multi-pronged um, lens, if you will, multiple lenses to that process, not just about the financial piece, but it's also programmatically. And so that realignment at central office, which resulted in some reductions um, in staff, also was a, a foundational step, if you will, toward the master um, planning process. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. You're hearing from Dr. Leslie Torres Rodriguez, superintendent of Hartford Public Schools, appointed in April after serving as interim superintendent. We're going to continue to ask her about her vision for the school district and talk about some of the more uh, specific challenges uh, to the the school district, including uh, integration and student achievement. Now, what questions do you have for her? Join the conversation. 860-275-7266. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Over the last decade, there have been four different school superintendents in Hartford. Dr. Leslie Torres Rodriguez, a Hartford native herself, is the newest leader of the city school district with more than 20,000 students. She's in studio with us today to answer our questions and yours. Join the conversation, 860-275-7266. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Dr. Torres Rodriguez, again, school started uh, just on on Tuesday. How do you feel supported? Do you believe people are, are cheering you? I do. Um, I do. I I know that the community um, is watching, particularly given the the revamping of of the process around the consolidation and the the restructuring of our district. And so while they express support, um, you know, they're watching. And so um, I'm mindful of that. Um, And then, you know, with regard to um, my colleagues, many colleagues, are aware of the challenging context of an urban urban setting. Um, and so I feel supported, um, at the very least, by the acknowledgement that it is a challenging context. You meant that you mentioned the challenging context of an urban setting. Tell us what you mean by that. So um, from the perspective of who it is that we serve, right, we know, the research tells us, that 70% of our students um, experience adverse childhood experiences, right? And so they show up to our door um, with um, oftentimes an inability to access learning. And so that is something that we have to be mindful of. Um, and then the concentration of need that um, we have to address and program for as well, which you know has implications, there are fiscal implications for that as well. Um, and so uh, making sure that um, we program for all of those needs. And then from a systemic perspective, uh, the challenge of the variance, the significant amount of variance that exists in, in regard to um, achievement levels, with regard to um, equity in terms of access to um, resources, that's also a challenge. And so many of those that I've referenced are um, are universal to uh, urban context. However, you know, in Hartford, add several other dynamics, the fact that um, we, you know, there are, there are, we have the chef implications, right? Unintended as it may be, there are implications that, 
that um, are happening. We have our enrollment challenges in Hartford. We have uh, facilities that um, are and have been in dire need of, of, of attention, and we just don't have the resources to do that and, and may not for quite some time. Um, and so all of those, you know, nine years of flat funding compound all of that, and so that's, that's a... That's a very unique challenge to Hartford. Let's break that break that down a little bit. Um, the implications of, of Chef versus O'Neill. Uh, you mentioned uh, some of the resources, uh, the physical uh, buildings that have been neglected uh, throughout um, some of um, investigative reporting that the Hartford Current uh, did uh, just a couple of months ago about the the legacy of Chef versus O'Neill. This idea that there are still children languishing in neighborhood schools because of not being able to get a seat in one of these magnet schools that the state has poured in billions of dollars to have the system to try to reach integration, but that's not quite happening. Can you talk a little bit about how these neighborhood schools, uh, how you can redirect the resources to help these kids get a quality education too? That is very real. Um, I actually just got um, communicated with with a parent um, who was so frustrated um, that over the years, has not been able to access um, seats. And so, um, and while, you know, there are neighborhood schools, some of our neighborhood schools face, you know, many of the challenges that I described. And so um, one of the goals um, through the restructuring process is to um, uh, divert divert resources to our um, neighborhood schools and, and make sure that all of our schools in Hartford are high quality schools. And but as you know, you know, change takes time, and um, systemic change also takes time. And so um, we can we can say that um, we are going to have more resources for our schools. But it's it's not just about the resources, right? We have to invest at many levels. We have to invest again in the human capital. We have to invest in the community resources that must must exist in order to support the whole child. Um, and so it's a multi pronged approach. But the reality is. Um, that there are empty seats. Bottom line, empty seats that students cannot access. You mentioned restructuring. So you, I think, believe uh, last year a lot of schools were getting consolidated. Um, staff was being decreased. How are you moving forward with further consolidation in this new year? So last year we were, um, you know, there was one school that we, um, the Capital Community Magnet Academy, is now um, at Capital Prep. Um, and the process moving forward is, um, you know, I, I want to make sure that our community understands that um, this is this process is not just about facilities. This process is not just about enrollment, right? We are looking at this from so many different angles. Ultimately, what we want to create is a is a system in which, all of our students have the access, right, to high-quality programming, um, but also programming that uh, makes sense for our families. We have 13 different grade configuration levels um, in Hartford. And so uh, making sure that we have um, intentional pathways for our families, making sure that our families have access to neighborhood schools that are high-quality as well. Um, and so we want to make sure that our, our community is part of this process. And so we can identify if today um, you said to me, you know, Dr. Torres Rodriguez, which schools 
um, should be closed because of facilities. Well, that's easy to determine, right? Because we know the facilities that are in dire need of repair. If you were to ask me from a one-dimensional um, perspective, what facilities due to low enrollment should close? We have, we can identify, the data tells us that, but we cannot look at it, um, you know, so narrowly. It's a, it's a, it's a multi-pronged um, dilemma uh, that needs to be addressed. And so making sure that the community understands that and then having parents, particularly our parents and our students at the table, letting us know what is it that you believe makes a high quality school. And we've asked those conversations, Lucy, and what we hear from parents, the number one thing that continues to come up for our parents is high achievement. They want a school in which their child is going to achieve at high levels. Number two, what parents are telling us is that um, to make sure that the community resources are in place, you know, that if their school happens to be closed and or consolidated, that the community resources will remain wherever it is that they and or their child happen to, to, to go. I wanted to get some listener uh, phone calls in our conversation. You can join the conversation, ask a, a, a question of the new superintendent of Hartford Public. That's Dr. Leslie Torres-Rodriguez. The number, 860-275-7266. Uh, Diane's calling from Hartford. Diane, you're on the show. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to say thank you to Dr. Torres-Rodriguez. Um, it's it's such a pleasure to hear somebody who's really invested in the school. And quite frankly, if you're just able to achieve half of what you set out in the next year or two, uh, Hartford we will, will be well served. Uh, I just had two quick questions for you. Um, I'm a North Ender, and so I wanted to know about the progress on the Weaver High School um, construction. And then there was a proposal for the Martin Luther King um, Elementary School that, you know, was floated through earlier this year, and I wanted to know what kind of progress or status that had. So Weaver uh, continues. We um, are going to move forward with Weaver, including the phase three of the Weaver project, which is the field house. So that's that's good news. Um, and I just want to kind of backtrack, Diane, and with regard to the conversation that I was just having with Lucy around making sure that there are pathways, um, you know, that want to make sure that that also remains at the at the at the center of, of the conversation, not only with regard to right the construction, yes, that matters, but that there's a programmatic piece that happens parallel to that as well, so that we're now being able, you know, to plan ahead for our students so that when Weaver opens in twenty, you know, in a couple of years, we'll be able to fill those seats. And with regard to MLK, which by the way, Diane, um, is part of the larger picture for Weaver as well. Um, MLK is um, slated to be um, a uh, dual campus. Um, MLK is going to be a middle school, six through eight, and also um, half of the, the facility, if you will, will be um, a magnet school. Um, but that's that's moving forward. Um, I know that the community um, has raised questions with regard to um, the finances, right, and the uncertainty with the state budget. And so we are waiting um, to see if there's any um, uh, additional news. But as we know it, um, we are scheduled to have both um, construction projects move forward. Uh, when we talk about uh, just the fiscal challenges, again, uh, Governor Malloy, under his plan, if there's no budget from the state legislature by October, uh, Alliance school districts, including Hartford, will be getting additional educational aid than what they've received in the past. Other uh, school districts that are considered wealthier, like neighboring West Hartford, will be getting huge cuts. Um, can you talk through with us exactly how those resources will be used, considering also that the city's um, weighing whether to file bankruptcy? And I mean, is it is there really going to be extra, excess dollars to, to, to fulfill the needs of getting certain resources to neighborhood schools, or it's going to be 
flat funded when it's all said and done. So, you know, with regard to the alliance, our alliance grant, um, we we did receive communication that it was going to remain the same, the alliance grant. The worry um, and the uncertainty for us is with regard to a priority um, school district grant. Um, And so... um, Five and a half million last year for us, and so that's that's a wondering that we have, um, given that um, it's all um, uh, staff. Most of it is staffing from our pre-K teachers to the instructional coach, some instructional coaches that we referenced before, um, and and I want to also. Um, I know you talked about, for example, neighboring West Hartford, and um, I know, and I want to validate the fact that and acknowledge that um, you know all students all districts where I have their need. Um, and so while um, I, I want to validate that, I, I have to bring it home, right, to Hartford and say um, that um, any reductions, um, obviously, given the fact that we had to mitigate $24 million already, um, will have significant impact. And we are um, being um, responsive. I want to just, in, in case anyone um, you know, kind of questions, well, you know, close the schools, um, because I've heard that as well, right? And I want to be transparent about that. Um, you know, when when you close a school, you have to be mindful of the impact um, on families, obviously, but impact on the community, um, which we hear often. We hear, um, when I go in the community and have these conversations, the question is, well, what is going to happen to the empty building? And knowing that, um, um, an empty building, a blighted um, space, does nothing for a community. And so being mindful of that um, as well throughout the process. Uh, the current reported that you are technically the, the highest paid city employee with your salary of $260,000 in the first year of your three-year contract. Um, how do you answer to that uh, salary when you were hearing about the challenges uh, within your own school district, and you just said yourself, uh, um, having to make more cuts in the future will uh, that'll fall on staff. That's always, you know, a tough one. Um, I can think about it um, from a very technical perspective. You know, that the the city will not mitigate their their gap with a superintendent's salary, right? That's that's one way to look at it. But you know, when I look at um, the challenge and the complexity of the job. Um, the the residents of Hartford will get more than one hundred percent in their investment um, in in my salary. Um, I am given more than the one hundred percent. You know, it is a twenty four seven job that um, I am committed to um, the importance of it um, from. Um, education to developing communities to developing um, capacity in the future of Hartford, and so it's it's broader than um, the number. And while right, given the context, is hard for 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 that to be separated. Um, that's how I um, how I look at it. You know that the taxpayers will get one hundred percent more of the investment. Um, I am committed for the long the long haul. Um, to making sure that we transform our district. I mentioned earlier that you're the fourth superintendent in the last decade. What is morale in terms of uh, the people, again, that are in the classrooms, uh, that are leading these some of these struggling schools? Uh, do you feel like they have confidence in your leadership? I, I have had, you know, conversations. Granted, you know, we do have over 3,000 employees. I've not spoken directly to all of them, but... Um, I did get some feedback with regard to um, focus um, and how important that is and that we're narrowing our focus on 
um, making sure that we operate well, that we are focused on student outcomes. And um, that's, that's a change. Uh, whether or not um, all 3,000 of them have confidence in me, um, nonetheless, I'm here. I'm here to make sure that I create those conditions and that I communicate in a way um, that not only um, verbally communicates, but through my actions speaks to um, creating those conditions that I spoke about so that our teachers feel supported um, in terms of their professional capacity to do the work for our students. You're listening to Where We Live with Dr. Leslie Torres-Rodriguez. She's Hartford Public Schools' newest superintendent. Join the conversation, 860-275-7266. What challenge do you you see at your child's school? If you're a city taxpayer, do you think the the Hartford Public Schools are doing a good job with the the limited resources they have? Again, 860-275-7266. Eric's calling from New Haven. Eric, you're on the show. Hi. Uh Hi. Thank you for having me on. Uh, My question is uh, around diversity uh, with uh, leadership in schools as well as teachers. Um, What barriers from your perspective uh, exist to getting more diversity uh, up in the uh, leadership ranks of the schools? And what can be done to alleviate some of those barriers? And I'll take my answer offline. Thanks, Eric. Uh, go ahead. Uh, he wanted to ask you about, again about how, what you're doing to, um, to help with the diversity uh, within the, the ranks. So we want to make sure that um, internally, if we will, we um, build our capacity. Um, for the teachers that we currently have, right, we want to make sure that we have a, a pipeline of leaders and then um, making sure that we are um, trying to actively recruit um, leaders um, of color um, that represent um, and that um, culturally um, who it is that we serve. Uh, it's a struggle that I, it's a conversation that I have with, with other superintendents and other counterparts around how challenging it is. And and then, of course, we have, as educators, we think, okay, so what's the root cause here? What can, when, what, how can we identify um, what the initial um, dilemma is? And, and I always go back to the experiences that our, that our students are having in the classrooms, right, to wondering that I have. Is it that um, uh, our students are having, could it be that our students are having an experience in which they're, you know, not um, interested in becoming educators? Um, and then I have to think about what's, how do we entice our students to, to become um, educators, right? When we hear a student speaking, um, not often do I hear, I want to be a teacher, um, and so that's something that we have to think about um, from a systemic perspective as well. Um, but to your point, Eric, um, yeah, it's it's something that um, we we struggle with, but we want to make sure that um, we celebrate the fact that twenty five percent of our of our certified teaching force is um, you know is um, are of color, and so we remain committed to making sure that we continue to increase that number. Let's talk about student achievement. Uh, the SBAC uh, preliminary results uh, came out uh, in Hartford. Uh, the, the percentage of students reaching the state standard in English actually dropped from last year uh, from 25.8% to 21, uh, 22%. percent uh, In math, the percentage dropped from 16% to 15.5% this year. Uh, why are these numbers so abysmal? Yeah, so that's, you know, to my to my um, comment earlier around the variance, we have pockets of excellence um, in Hartford, but it's not systematized. And so um, one of our strategies, and um, this is um, a focus area that remains, is, you know, the early literacy work. And so 
Um, this year, uh, another focus is to make sure that we have a solid, um, uh, what, what is called a tier one instruction um, uh, foundation. And so tier one is um, the, um, the teaching and learning, if you will, that happens um, and that about 80% of our students can access, right? So regular education instruction. And so making sure that um, that tier one instruction um, is um, aligned, obviously, to standards and that is rigorous, but in a way that our students, all of our students can access, right? Making sure that we're mindful of the fact that um, about 18% of our students are special education students. About another 19 are English learners. And so uh, building, again, capacity in our staff around um, the literacy so that it can be embedded in through all of our subject areas. I wanted to take another call from a listener, and you can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Again, the newest uh, Hartford School Superintendent, Dr. Leslie Torres-Rodriguez, is in studio with us. Uh, Mary's calling from Hartford. Mary, you're on the show. Hi. So given what's happening in Houston, we're recognizing that this next generation is going to have unprecedented challenges with climate change. And a lot of the school buildings are uh, are located along the riparian corridors or within floodplains, and they use energy, and schools are places where everybody ought to be learning teamwork. How are you, as the leader of the Harford School System, helping uh, give direction uh, to your schools to help uh, train the next generation to deal with climate change and to become more aware of their surroundings and how to manage them in a way that will be sustainable. I I actually want to um, acknowledge and, and I'm grateful for your question given that this year I want to, um, I've been working with my leadership team around the development of a whole student framework and um, you know, you speak about awareness, and we we have several assumptions as part of that um, that framework. You know that um, social emotional uh, learning, if you will, serves as um, a foundation for some very important um, elements. Right, the executive function, the decision making, the self awareness that is required in order for our students to self regulate. Um, that um, again, being mindful of the fact that seventy percent of our students experience trauma. And, and while this is not only in particular to um, the climate change, Mary, that you're questioning about, it is about creating spaces and opportunities for our students um, to uh, be aware of who they are and their environment. And so um, with that, we have to build a capacity in, in our educators to, to be able to address the whole child, right, to um, uh, teach our children how to... Um, have the self-confidence, the self-concept, the self-esteem um, to improve their social functioning and their environment. And so um, it's, it's, a, it's a framework that we're now uh, developing, but it also ties into our efforts to have restorative approaches to our work as well. So there's a whole behavioral system piece to that framework as well, um, Mary, but um, it's, it's culture change, what you're, what you're speaking um, speaks to me about culture change and making sure that we create a culture and a system in which um, everyone feels that they're part of a larger whole, that everyone feels that they have to um, honor and validate um, each other and, and the environment. 
We hear often from uh, officials in the higher education system, and you uh, said that you have taught in the community college system uh, years ago, uh, that graduates, not just in Hartford, but in other uh, school districts around the state, they're not prepared for college. How, what's the graduation rate in, in, of Hartford Public Schools today, and are they, are they adequately prepared? So we still are waiting for our um, final graduation rates. Last year's graduation rate was 78, our four, four-year cohort graduation. So students that graduate within the four years. Um, you know, one of the things that I um, immediately comes to mind when you talk about um, what is um, a college ready, what are those standards? And, uh, you know, our last caller talked about the, the notion of um, collaborating and um you know, it's, that's one of the elements, making sure that our students know how to think critically, how to communicate um, in multiple ways, um, how to um, problem solve. But what I hear often when we speak to our business partners is around um, the ability to address collaboratively complex problems. Um, and so while there is the academic foundation um, that has to be tend that we have to tend to. There are all these other 21st century skills, if you will, college ready skills that we also have to tend to. And before we had to break, uh, how is the the school district tending to those? Well, we want to make sure that we allow um, opportunities for all of our students to not only in the classroom um, experience the, uh, the rigor, but to make sure that there there there's a project based, mastery based um, opportunity where. You know, students may not master um, the, the skill uh, the first time around, but that through a project-based approach, if you will, that they have an opportunity to um, show mastery. Um, and then making sure that our students also have connections to um, uh, internships, uh, project-based learning, so that they're able to make those connections to the real world. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today, uh, we're talking with uh, Hartford Public Schools Superintendent, Dr. Leslie Torres-Rodriguez. We'll take more of your questions after the break, 860-275-7266. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today, we're talking about education specifically uh, the vision of the new superintendent of Hartford Public Schools, Dr. Leslie Torres-Rodriguez. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Uh, Dr. Uh, Torres-Rodriguez, we touched on this a little bit earlier about uh, consolidation. Um, as you uh, begin this school year again, uh, what do you say to parents who may see their neighborhood school close? Do you know yet how many schools you'll be closing this year? We do not know yet how many schools um, we will be closing and when, nor do we know when we will be closing. You know, one of the things that I've um, communicated to the Board of Education is um, what, what I um, call a very aggressive uh, timeline. Uh, my, my goal is to, by December, present to the Board models, models um, of the restructuring, but also process models, because process is going to matter here, um, given that, um, you know, it's not going to be one school and it's not going to be two schools because, you know, we, we know that um, our, the average, um, I think 85% is what our buildings are used in terms of capacity, what it is that we're using them right now. And so think about that, right? So we have to keep that in mind. But um, making sure that um, 
in the next three months that we have an inclusive process and um, we want to hear from our community, from our parents, from our um, partners as to what it is that they believe makes a high-functioning school. So we know what the research tells us, um, but we want to be able to uh, couple that with what the, context, the contextual need is for our respective communities and um, uh, in the city. And so, um, again, um, the board ultimately decides. By the way, I don't have the power, superintendent, to um, to do that. But my my recommendation, my job is to make the recommendations based on this informed, um, collaborative process. And so that will happen um, November and December. And so you know, there's policy and regulations that certainly I will make sure that the process um, you know is in alignment with. But I I, I want to make sure um, that I reiterate the fact that it is going to be a challenging painful process for all of us and decisions will have to be made. But ultimately, when all is said and done, making sure that what what is standing, if you will, for lack of a better way to say it, um, the programs that remain are going to be programs that are going to meet the needs of all of our students. And that is at the core of what's driving that. Um, It is not to save money. It is to reinvest resources. Can you give us an idea? Do you have a, a list of schools that based on not just uh, enrollment, but a facility structure, uh, the needs of the students, which schools you'll be looking at? You know what? I, I reflect back on the previous process that started. It was called the Equity 2020 process. And, um, you know, schools were looked at from a, uh, yes, facilities from I believe in an achievement perspective as well in the enrollment, but that's not, those are not the only lenses. I keep going back to that, um, that it's not just about that. It's making sure that we think about the programs that, that exist. And it's not only about closing a school. We can say, right, well, for example, the Martin Luther King building, it is no longer going to be a pre-K-8 building. That's going to be a middle school building. And so we're not closing the school, but we are restructuring the program there. Uh, you mentioned that there's a lot of emphasis on, on process and getting community input. The last time you were on the show, uh, you were on with Office of Child Advocate uh, Sarah Egan. We were talking about a, a really disturbing report from her office with uh, the way the Hartford School District had handled abuse allegations by their staff against students. Um, at the time, uh, this is what you told us. I will tell you that moving forward, it stops with everyone, mm-hmm. right, at all levels of the organization and making sure that everyone is held accountable. So I'm curious, since that time, how have you put that process in place? Do parents and students feel safe in your schools? Uh, If I look at it from a technical perspective, um, which is where we had to enter the work, right, making sure that all of our staff was trained, uh, making sure that we communicated with our community as to the report and our action plan moving forward, um, and then making sure that our students understand that that there are staff members that are going to be responsive to their needs. And so um, we're now going to to monitor, right? We're going to monitor our behavior, our culture and climate data, because those are indicators, right? They can tell us whether or not our students feel safe. We are, like I talked about before, when what I believe Mary was the caller, um, we talked about the whole student framework and making sure that we approach um, how we interact with our students in the classroom, outside the classrooms, from a perspective that values um, the integrity of who they are as a person. Um, but but 
you know, from an organizational perspective, Lucy, um, when I think about the priorities, now we have four core priorities. Yes, high-quality teaching and learning. And yes, learning-focused partnerships. Those are two priorities that carried on from the previous um, strategic operating plan. But we have two new priorities. One is operational effectiveness, and the other is systemic accountability. And so um, when I think about and reflect about that report, um, that report, yes, as grave um, as it was around the safety piece, it spoke as to the entire infrastructure of our organization. Um, when you have something like that, um, you have to step back as a leader and look at all of the other systems and processes that are at play or not um, functioning. And so um, it's something that we're going to do at all levels of the organization, holding ourselves accountable to the work in relation to child safety, in relation to teaching and learning, in relation to the partnerships that we have. What's your relationship with the labor unions uh, that represent the staff, the teachers, and how does that play into when you have these kinds of allegations? Again, that report found that some of these uh, um, these staff members were still able to keep their jobs. So um, I wanted to make sure that I was very, um, one, transparent um, as to the expectations and then collaborative in moving forward. And so um, I uh, believe that I have a, a good relationship with all of our um, our union leadership. And, um, you know, they're part of, of building the capacity as well. We're not, um, we're in it together, if you will. Um, and um, if, if there are allegations, we do our due, our due diligence and we investigate everything. And so I, th- I, I want to say there's an understanding um, that um, we are not going to tolerate um, children being hurt. Um, we're not, that's just no longer the way we operate. Um, and so that message has been well received. Um, and, and I believe that um, we are all supporting each other in that effort. Um, with regard to teachers um, that were able to keep their jobs, I wanted to um, go back to the fact that we have looked at all of those cases and we confirmed that um, there were there were no teachers that were substantiated that were still um, in our system. And we'll have to leave it there. The hour went quickly, but I want to thank uh, Hartford School Superintendent Dr. Leslie Torres Rodriguez. Uh, we hope you can come back with us uh, maybe in December uh, when you are dealing with this uh, consolidation, when you know more about the schools that will be closing, and we can get some parent perspective in on that conversation as well. I would love to come back. Thank you. I want to thank uh, producer Lydia Brown, WMPR executive producer Katie Tolarski, and our technical producer, Producer Kion Wolf. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Have a great weekend.